0: Good morning and welcome to Our American Heritage. I am Arch Hunder, the host of the program. Our American Heritage is a program where we explore in depth the American experience from its beginning through the present. And today we want to welcome back as a very special guest, Mike Lebstock. Mike, thanks for coming back and joining us again. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thanks for having me back. Oh, it's my pleasure, believe me. Listeners, I've known Mike for several years. I believe he's coming on his 38th year of teaching in the public school system out on the West Coast. I've known Mike and his wonderful wife, Amy, for several years now. And Mike does a lot of interpretation, particularly of John Adams, and has done a lot of research on John Adams. And on our first show, he was just talking to us about John Adams at the Boston Tea Party and then the Boston Massacre, and being a wonderful, excellent lawyer that his cousin, Samuel Adams, got him to take the case. So, Mike, if you'd like to pick it up there and continue on, we're waiting for you to tell us more about (laughs) John Adams, the lawyer, first. John Adams, the lawyer, yes. Such a fascinating
1: character. As we were talking before, I guess what resonated to me was the respect. The word respect keeps coming up because with the Boston Massacre, he makes this decision, a hugely unpopular one with his fellow patriots. And he's made it crystal clear. I am a patriot. He writes anonymously about the Stamp Act. I mean, he is very committed very, very early on to this idea that liberty, this revolution really existed long before the war ever begins, And you see him building almost a legal case for a revolution in, in his writing and what he says. And he's, he's very consistent with it. Here comes the Boston Massacre. And he is begged to take the case and no one else wants it. And he finally agrees to it. And everybody, all of his patriot friends, thinks he's lost his mind. They're calling him a king's man and all this other stuff. And he's just determined that the law should be the thing that is the measure of anybody, that it's not the color of your coat or anything else that should matter. And as the British soldiers are found guilty in a court of law, then then the law determined it, but a mob did not. And of course, he manages to get them off. A couple guys get manslaughter charges, but in essence, they get off and he loses customers and clients and friends and relationships. And yet, when you come around to the Continental Congress, who do they want to be on it? John Adams. Why? Because he is what he is. He, he doesn't have these hidden agendas. I think of the politics today and so oftentimes the lack of transparency. And this guy is almost transparent to a fault. He tells everybody, you know, look, I'm not the most likable guy, but what I say is what I say. He doesn't come at things with a second plan and you either like it or you don't. And, and for him, that's fine. He's, and so he sees himself as kind of prickly. But when I read from other people, I don't necessarily hear them with that same sense of his self-deprecation. The word respect keeps coming up. They, they know who this guy is. That he's incredibly brilliant. He's a gifted writer. He's passionate. He's all the things that you know. Who's going to lead this revolution? He thinks through who are we going to have be in charge of a continental army. We need a Virginian. Why? Well, we need Virginias to be with us. This can't be Massachusetts' fight. And who should write the Declaration? He's asked. No, no. Let's let Jefferson write it, even though he's only 33. Why? Well, he's from Virginia. I mean, he's a gifted writer. He's but he's a Virginian. And if it comes for me, it's never going to get there. He's thought through all of these things. I think, who thinks like that? Yeah, he astonishes me with the depth of his intent. And as a teacher, I, I try to follow that idea of I'm very intentional about the choices I make and what I do and how I do it. And I see that in him. He's very intentional. I don't think he stumbles across things. He's very deliberate about what he wants to do
0: what was his relationship because i've read a lot about the difference in the personalities of dr benjamin franklin and john adams what (laughs) was the relationship because these two men seem to be polar opposites in demeanor and their style of learning and yeah getting things done
1: It, it is it's funny the
0: two of them
1: adams comes from a very puritan background he's pretty black and white about things and he's I don't want to say he's in a hurry, but he's got an agenda, and he wants to move from point A to point B in the most direct way possible. He's not really interested in meandering about things. And he gets hugely frustrated in some of the conversations in the Continental Congress, you know, that they just keep wandering around and he's like, you know we need to cut to the chase. And so his time with Franklin, I think at first, there's again, incredible respect. he He respects Franklin. he appreciates Franklin's wisdom. I think where you really start to see, the difference is because he's not really hanging out with Franklin like he does when the two of them end up in Europe. And when they're in Paris and Franklin is, you know, you, you don't have a party without Franklin. He's, he's already got standing in Paris before Adams arrives. And Franklin is smart enough to figure out how you play the game. And in France, the game is played differently. People are a lot more relaxed about time and you have parties and you do it. And that's how you conduct business. You do it in a social environment. And Franklin's fine with that. Adams is not. He's not the socialite. And so when the two of them come together, I don't know who's more frustrated with the other. Because Adams can't get Franklin off of point A to get to point B. And Franklin is like, would you please relax? And I don't know that the word relax is in Adams' vocabulary. And so the two of them, I mean, Franklin is trying to get this, this very passionate man, like, would you slow down? Because you're, you're going to kind of mess things up. This is how people do things over here. And Adams doesn't have a handle on the language and the culture. And there's so many things he doesn't get. But his heart's in the right place. And I think Franklin understands that. He realizes the guy's got the right idea. He's just going about it in a bad way. And for Adams, it's just Franklin just makes him want to pull what little hair he has out. <laughs>
0: Talk to our listeners, please, about his relationship with Abigail and the relationship uh, that both John and Abigail had their whole entire marriage. They are. I, I call them the original
1: super couple, and that's not to be dismissive in the least of George and Martha Washington. In fact, Martha Washington has a, a number of things where she she really has this great appreciation of fondness for Abigail Adams, because Abigail Adams is really, she's out of her time. She's she's brilliant. Mm-hmm. She's learned. She's articulate jefferson picks up on that he all of these very brilliant guys they see they see her and they realize she's just not his shadow this is his partner and for john john adams would not be john adams without abigail if you took her out of the equation he wouldn't be who we think he is because he needed her she was his balance she kept him calm at times when he was about to lose it and her incredible strength i don't know how you know, she's running the home. She's running the family with the kids. She's doing all of this stuff and missing her husband. And on the letters between the two of them are incredible. And the fact that we have so much of what they say between the two, between the two of them privately, not that they ever sat down and said, hey, we're going to write these letters. And hundreds of years from now, people are going to read them. So be careful what you say. And they don't. They, they write to each other. He refers to as his dearest friend. And I think what an interesting terminology to speak to of his wife. They're that close. She gives him a bad time. She has no problem needling him. The most famous one is remember the ladies, you know, while you're off doing all this other stuff and you're planning this whole new country thing, do not forget about us. So she is incredibly mindful of what he needs to do and why. And I think she accepts that grudgingly. She wants her husband home. She wants him safe probably didn't make things better when John Quincy goes with him across the ocean, but mm-hmm. um, not, you know, as a mom, you see that in her, she wants to care for her kids. She's got kids who are struggling because dad's not home. I mean, all the things that we see happening today, only it's transparent. It's she lay, they both lay it out there, between for all of us to read, you know, in our generation. So yeah, she all by herself is just a phenomenal person and probably not enough deservedly so said about her. I think there should be even more.
0: What was his relationship with Thomas Jefferson? I'm thinking, you know, when Adams was president, Jefferson was vice president. They're from different parties. Was there uh, quite a bit of uh, sparks between the two of them? (laughs) You know, it's, it's again, it's one of those sad
1: ironies that the two of them start off and they hit it off really well. They definitely have different personalities. I mean, one of the hardest things, I think, is for Adams, Adams doesn't, he's not a planter, I mean he's a farmer, but he's not from the southern planter mentality. Mm -hmm. And so the whole issue of having enslaved people is a conflict for him that he struggles with greatly, and even when they get to the Declaration, and wanting to be able to have something in there that, that addresses that. And Jefferson, of course, comes out of the planter class, and he has people. But the two of them, in writing the declaration and working together, they strike a chord. They, they, there is a common sense of purpose and reason, and party really hasn't developed yet. There hasn't been this line of, I'm for agriculture, I'm looking at business. You know, they, They're kind of of the same mindset. Going to Europe, I think that only made it even more. Jefferson loved France probably a lot more than Adams did. But still, they really bonded well and then you throw in an election and everything goes sideways in a hurry. Mm-hmm. Apparently it was never considered appropriate. You, you didn't give speeches, which for Jefferson was probably good because he wasn't a good public speaker. He didn't like it. He was great at writing, but speaking was not his thing. Adams had no problem talking, but it was considered inappropriate for you to give your own speeches. So other people spoke on your behalf and talked about you. Jefferson apparently was pretty good about knowing how to play the media and had contacts and was encouraging them behind the scenes to kind of stir up dirt, whatever they could find on Adams or make stuff up. And I think Adams people, too, I don't know that it was quite as direct, but both sides played ugly. I mean, we think of dirty campaigns now. And I think, you know, when you start reading about campaigns in the past, it's like, oh, no, no, no. They (laughs) knew how to dig up dirt a long time ago and were really good at it. But yeah, the two of them went sideways so fast. And after that election, Jefferson just, he, he doesn't even want to be in Washington. I mean, he doesn't want to be there with Adams because as vice president, it's like, what am I going to do? I, I have nothing to say. My party's not in power. I'm going to go hang out in Monticello while you do whatever you do. And meanwhile, let's try to figure out what's the next election going to look like. And I think that was hard for Adams too, because they had a friendship. And then this election just found the ugliest possible things that could come up. And then how do you recover from that? And so it's years later before they finally will actually start writing to each other again, I think. And Abigail has something to do with this. I think she writes Jefferson at one point and kind of gets after him. And at some point they start writing again. And then, you know, the two of them write and needle each other, but they find that relationship again, that commonality again. And then they both die on July 4th, 50 years after the declaration. I mean, how ironic is that?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That we have two presidents at, die on the same same day.
1: Yeah, yeah. And 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 it was Adams believed that Jefferson was still alive. And Jefferson had actually died a, a bit earlier on the same day. But yeah, that they had come so far and, and and were able to reconstruct a friendship out of respect again for what each other had done. To build
0: the country in the first place, despite you know what their disagreements were that occurred in between, so that's a fun story. John Adams did a, a tremendous amount of help the Marquis de Lafayette. Uh, uh, am I understanding that correctly? When during the French Revolution, yeah, I, you know, for, I think Adams again, he what what impresses me, Arch, about him
1: is what he knows about different people. He's very attuned. He knows people. He knows about them enough to kind of know how to get the most or make the most out of what they can offer and particularly like with Lafayette who comes over here and he's young but he has this incredible fervor for what's going on here and he wants to do something and he brings not just some cash as a person but you know he's got a wallet and the continental congress needs money and so is there ways in which that this guy can be helpful and he wants to be a support So I think that Adams, what I want to know more about Adams and Lafayette later, you know, kind of like when Lafayette comes back, you know, what what, what conversation takes place at that point? Because during the revolution, it's almost like everybody is so busy. You don't really have time to be, you know, have chit chat. But later when they can all reflectively look back. And what that conversation, that's still something I want to know more about.
0: Mike, what are, in your opinion, the most memorable things that John Adams did as either a politician or president or lawyer? Well, I think the the, the two times, as I said, I try to bring this up with my students
1: because doing the right thing versus the popular thing, I think Mm -hmm. that's a struggle not just for our kids, I think it's a struggle for all of us that, you know, there's times where you feel this incredible pressure and maybe social media has been that influencer to, you know, force people sometimes, I guess you can say the word force, they'll choose to do something because everybody else is doing it. And even, and, and I hear my parents, you know, well, because everybody else is doing it doesn't make it right. And I think that was John Adams. I think like with the Boston massacre, you know, he chooses to do the right thing, let the law decide, not the popular thing, let the mob decide. And it didn't work out the way the mob wanted and it cost him, but he rebounds from that. And then later what happens with him, with France, that the French have been seizing American ships. He's the president. They haven't been able to resolve this with Washington. The British and the French are at it with each other and they both are looking to see, well, who's the United States going to be? Whose side are we going to be on? And Adams is determined to not go to war, even though he has every reason to, because of what the French have been doing and the American public is on his side. And even the Jeffersonian Democrats, you know, they don't know what to do because Americans want a war with France. And so Adams is sitting in a situation where, and and you can just see Hamilton, you know, just just giddy because it's like, yes, the Federalists are going to maintain power because we're going to go to war and not necessarily thinking of the outcome of that, but just the fact it's going to be good for the party. And Adams is going, I just don't think so. He's making the right moves. I'm going to build up the, the military. I'm going to be ready. There's kind of a quasi war as far as ships and stuff are going on, but he's not committed to all out war. I'm going to send some guy, let's go see if we can't talk this out and try to come up with something that's going to make this all go away and be better. And ultimately there is, there's an agreement. Mm -hmm. And, and I, again, I can just see Hamilton just throwing things because how could Adams have blown this? You didn't go to war when everybody wanted you to go to war. You were Mr. Popular and now what? And Adams at one point, he says, you know, this is all I ever want written on my tombstone. Here lies John Adams who prevented war with France. I'm thinking of all the things that Adams could have on his tombstone and I've had the the honor of actually seeing it and it's not not written on there but of everything that you could write on this guy's tombstone and he wants people to know I did the right thing I did what I thought was best for our country and war was not it it would have made me popular it would have made the federalists in power but it wasn't the right thing for our country and therefore I did it and I always point that out to my students he did the right thing not the popular thing. And it cost him. It cost him his political career. But for him, it was a sacrifice he was willing to make, just like he had done in the revolution.
0: Mike, in your idea, what is John Adams' legacy to America? I love this question,
1: because when I go to Washington, D.C., as you have so many times, and you see all these amazing monuments, the Washington Monument, the Jefferson Memorial, and you look around and you're thinking, there's nothing to John Adams. And 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 at first, I guess if you don't know much about him, you think well, probably you know he probably didn't deserve one. And then when you start finding out all the things like this guy really was the architect. He really was making all of the things happen that brought us to not just the Declaration, but with the Revolution. It's like this guy plays that significant of a role, and there's not there's nothing around here that recognizes that. And so I had read a few things about people wanting to do something. Should there be something? And then the more I thought about it. He has this quote that he makes after he's been president. He says, posterity, you will never know how much it costs the present generation to preserve your freedom. I -hmm. hope you will make good use of it. I love that quote so much I had it printed on a shirt, and I wear it in my classroom. And I point it out to my students because I want them to go, do you understand what he's saying? Everything that was sacrificed and done so that we can sit here in an air-conditioned classroom and some of you don't do your homework or whatever, that's what this is. You can, you have that because of what they were willing to sacrifice. So in terms of legacy, and I'll use this when I'm doing character interpretation, when I play Adams and I go to other places, it's one of the things I always try to bring up out of character when I take the hat off and stuff is what would his legacy be? And I said, here's what I think. I think I'm looking at his legacy. I'm looking at you. Hmm. I see you. You're alive. Monuments are buildings. They're stone. They don't grow. They don't change. They are what they are. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But more impressive is what are you doing with the freedom and the liberties that you have? Are you doing the things that are going to make this country continue to be great? That to me is his legacy. He left behind that desire to want to see in each American person, not a statue, not a monument, but in your life how are you going to make this country continue to become better? And so I find that, I I mean, I almost emotionally, I find that gripping that that's when I look at my students and I'm looking at them and I'm seeing through his eyes, what I would hope he would want them to be, or at least as a teacher that he would say, you know, Mike, I'm proud that you've done a good job to help these students understand the meaning of all of this, that now it's in their hands to go do what's going to be next. So yeah, that to me is where I think, I think his legacy lies in each of us.
0: One of the things, Mike, that I love about Adams, and there's many, that after he has this bitter defeat in the election of 1880, he doesn't pick up his tent and go home, and he doesn't leave the American society or the culture. Many presidents do that. I mean, they leave Washington, and we very rarely hear anything from them, (laughs) again. And Adams was not that way at all in his life, was he?
1: No. And again, I think as hard as it was for him to not have been reelected, you know, I, I, I don't think he was ignorant of realizing the things that kind of led up to it. I was contemplating like the opposite side of, you know, something he did great. I think he looked at the Alien and Sedition Acts as being, yeah, that was a bad idea. You know, it was something I never should have signed off on. I made reasons for why, but it was on me. I know Hamilton loved the idea of the Federalists being able to kind of silence the Democratic Republicans, but this wasn't the way to go about it and that would be something he would probably regret having done and would do differently, but that he always seemed to be politically aware of what was going on and you see that in his letter writing and that he continues to write letters to lots of different people and people are writing him and they're continuing to ask him, what do you think, what would you do? You know, And he, he's never short of words. <laughs> he always finds these very lengthy ways of describing what he thinks, but he always comes around to in a legal way of explaining, this is what i think whether you do it or don't but this is what i think you ought to do so he does he keeps his hand in it and even when jefferson and he start resuming their writing you see the two of them still bantering and poking at each other for some of the decisions that they made or their ideas about the way in which the country should go ultimately they you know they don't go so far as to anger each other but there's that continued sense of presence we didn't just do this to walk away you know you're birthing a new nation. How do you just walk away from it? You're going to continue to be a part of it quite literally until the day you die. And I think that's probably true.
0: Coming after George Washington and this larger than life human being, (laughs) so many different levels, was there any feeling of Adams felt like he was being overwhelmed or he was living in the shadow of George Washington during his presidency or as a diplomat? I think the best
1: example of that is that instead of the, the, the question of why did you hold on to his cabinet and Hamilton? Because it, it's clearly that Hamilton wants to – well, Hamilton would, would have loved to have been president and, and knew that that wasn't in the cards. Mm-hmm. But he also wanted to be able to and, – and he wanted to, to have a control over this country. I don't want to say manipulate, but he wanted to have his voice, his presence felt. And he could do that if he could encourage, assuage the president. And he couldn't do it with Adams. And I think Hamilton was super frustrated with Adams. But Adams had been around. It's like Hamilton, you had to learn from this guy. He's got wisdom too, that you're sometimes impetuousness. You're missing the wisdom of some of these people who have been here for generations. And Adams is one of them. But instead, he drives you crazy because he doesn't just bend to your will. And you you like that. You want people too, And so with Adams having the opportunity to kind of rewrite the cabinet, and he sort of does this I want to hold on to what the the American people love about George Washington. They trust him. They believe in him. And these are people that he believed in to give him advice. So I'm going to kind of carry them over. And that's going to be a good thing. And I don't think it probably was. I think he was probably, instead of asserting himself as the new president, he sort of was, I've got to kind of hold on to a bit of George because that's what the people love and want. And if they Mm -hmm. could, they would bring him back again. If George would allow it, they'd bring him back. And I think that that not asserting himself as the new president with a different group of guys probably didn't help him in the long run. But, yeah, I mean, how do you not live in the shadow of George Washington? You know, it's that whoever's going to be second. And that was Benjamin Franklin's comment Mm of we're not worried about who's going to be the first guy. We kind of know what that's going to be about It's who comes next. And I think whoever came next, and I I think you see that in the overlooking of Adams in our history, you know, we think of who's on Mount Rushmore, you know, you got Washington, we have Jefferson. It's easy to let Adams slip by because the shadow of George Washington is huge, and deservedly so.
0: Yes. Yes. Well, again, my time is just fleeting by here. We find ourselves (laughs) up against time. So... Thank you. Uh, this is you fascinating so information uh, about this very important figure as a founding father and a lawyer and, and president of the United States that oftentimes John Adams is overlooked because of someone before him and someone after him. But thank yeah. you for bringing a lot of this to our attention, Mike. We you certainly are so appreciate welcome. this is fascinating stuff. So I appreciate also, being asked. Thank you. Well, um, I'm hoping, uh, and you don't have to answer this now, that you'll come back later on and and continue to discuss either John Adams or anyone who would you like in, in American history?
1: I would love to. Absolutely love to. Thank you for asking
0: thank you so much. God bless you. Have a great school year. Keep teaching those kids. They're our future. So Mike, thank, thank you for coming and sharing with us today and last week. And we will continue to think about John Adams and continue to have our interest sparked into this wonderful Patriot. So Mike, again, thank you for sharing with us. about Thanks, John Mark. Adams. This is WFIL 1180, Working for Your Liberty.